0: Hello, and welcome to Furlow, defining moments worth talking about. I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and of course we have Steve Otterstrom with us today. And Steve, it's been an interesting week for me. Uh, I am not a person that has had allergies to any kind of poison ivy, poison oak, or poison sumac or anything, but apparently this week I found it and uh, I am beginning to break out from it. Uh, I'm hoping to be at the tail end of it. Uh, And I don't even know where I got it from. So, um, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable today.
1: How are you doing? (laughs) Much better than you are. I I can, I can say, (laughs) um, I, I am fortunate that we don't really get, uh, much of those out here. I know that some places in the mountains that can grow, but for the most part, we don't really have, um, poison ivy or, or poison oak. Um, but, uh, I, I definitely feel for you. <laughs> yeah. That's that's no fun when you feel like your skin is trying to remove itself from you.
0: <laughs> well, I, I had read, because I've touched it before, never had a problem, so it's kind of a fascination to, to uh, a, like a superpower, I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, I had read as you get older that it, it is likely that you do get, become allergic. And uh, like I say, I have no idea what I did, but it's primarily on my forearms and uh, mm-hmm. one one of my armpits and uh oh. I, you know I, I generally wear clothes when i'm outside so i'm just not real <laughs> sure why it's why it is where it is but yeah uh, you were so not working know.
1: in the yard and you ripped off your shirt <laughs> and walked around
0: yeah no no i'm, I'm yeah. past that stage in life
1: <laughs> yeah i never really was in that stage in life uh, <laughs> i i've always felt that my chest did better covered uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, there you and, and those around me seem to have a similar opinion. So. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: and, and you, uh, you picked up a special project this week. Do you want to uh, share a little sure. bit about yeah. that? That's kind of yeah. fun.
1: Um, well, my father-in-law, he had his old car he had in college. It was a Bourguard Isabella. And, um, you know, when, when. My wife was growing up. She remembers playing in the car because it had stopped working, you know, 50 years ago. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it was a car that got a lot of play and things like that. in, but it's mostly has just kind of been sitting out in a field. And um, my youngest son, who's uh, 14 now, was was got really excited about the prospect of um, trying to restore it. And so he talked to his grandfather. His grandfather was delighted to get it off his hands. And uh, so now we have an intense project for the next couple of years, maybe longer yeah. <laughs> as we yeah. try and restore it. Um, I mean, it's gonna be a very uh, relaxed restoration. I know a lot of people when, when it comes to restoring, especially old cars, there's this idea that you need to keep every um, piece intact. Of course, this car is not in that kind of condition. Mm-hmm. Um, it, right. it really is, we, we can take the body and uh, we can paint it nice and do those things but then pretty much everything else is not salvageable the engine actually appears like it might be but um you know (laughs) it's 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 going to be um more of i guess a customization than a restoration uh, when it it all comes down to it no matter what it's going to be a lot of work and i'm afraid it might actually cost some money too (laughs)
0: yes well and i you know prior to the show we were talking and i, I was not familiar with the vehicle and you, you said they actually stopped manufacturing them what was it, in 1961 yeah. yeah 1961
1: their german car um and and you know what's interesting is i looked online and i saw a car that looked exactly like ours i guess there are these lemon races where people find old cars you know in barns or wherever and they get them running and then they race them and, um, the, this one, you know, they, they pretty much uh, took it out, put three months of work into it, uh, getting it to start. But, you know, apparently they kind of just poured gasoline in and it worked and then, but they had to, you know, change the steering wheel out and things like that. And, um, and re- replace this, the, when you looked inside, it didn't look like a classic car. It just looked like a piece of junk, but yeah. it actually won. Um, Str- it, 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 it still could get up to hundred miles an hour. And that was very wow. impressive. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it'll ever look like this classic car going down the street that people turn their heads at, but it might be one where people still turn their heads because
0: <laughs> <laughs> turn it the other way. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: There you go. Because yeah. Because of its condition. Bolt a couple lawn chairs inside of it and you'll be good to go.
1: Huh? Yep. Yeah. That's pretty much what I'm 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 seeing <laughs> we'll we'll be doing right now. I don't know if that'll make it road-worthy or if we have to do more, you know, so it has seat belts. <laughs> <but> yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm sure there's a few things. Yeah. Well, Steve, you and I had some great conversations last week, and I know it, it led to what we want to talk about today. So let, let me go ahead and have you kind of uh, dig back to the roots of our show and why we're talking going to talk about what we are. and I'll, I'll
1: allow you to introduce this today, yeah. if you would. Sure. And, you know, it's interesting because when, when we first started this podcast, and even before we had started it, our goal had been to try and find the moments that define who we are um both of us had, had done a lot of training in a corporate setting and and a common um tactic i guess for lack of a better word when you're working with with um corporate people especially trying to teach them how to become better coaches to their team and mentors is you talk about who was that person that was influential in your life and everyone's got a success story. And you hear, it, and especially, we were working primarily with general managers and directors of sales who have been really rather successful in their in their lives. And they talk about someone who entered and mentored them when, you know, other people didn't see uh, their potential. And I think at that point in my life, I kind of created more of this rosy view of, you mm-hmm. know, life's hard, but you just find that person who makes a difference and, and then you Run a hotel, right? Yeah, um, yeah. However, um, especially after we talked uh, last week and we talked about addiction, you know, it reminded me that that's not the outcome for a lot of people, and especially mm-hmm. for people who have you know what the CDC calls adverse child experiences or Aces, mm-hmm. and this is something that um, you know as we we look on the CDC site, we we see really hundreds of peer reviewed articles that have gone in and studies that have gone in to try and understand the impact and the effect. And uh, you know, and, and thank you, Leonard, because I had not been aware of these until you had talked about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that the um, these studies have determined or have demonstrated is what they call a great dose response to these adverse child experiences. Meaning. The more intense, the more likely to have. Problems later on in life, and these aren't Mm -hmm. just problems like behavioral problems. These are um, well, like, for example, here's a statistic I could share with you. Um, About 61 percent of adults surveyed across 25 states reported that they had experienced at least one type of ACE or adverse child experience. Nearly one in six people uh, reported that they had experienced four or more types. And that's really where we start seeing these. Um, bad results later in life yeah. when you have those four. Now, all of them have a dose relationship. As you get one, um, it increases over those that have zero. And as you get up to four, that's when you start to see um, these these things happen, you know. And so here's this this statistic I wanted to share, for example, up to one point nine million cases of heart disease. So that, that's not a behavioral thing, you mm-hmm. know, but 1.9 million cases of heart disease and 21 million cases of depression could have potentially been avoided by preventing ACEs. Mm. Wow. So when they call it a public health crisis, it's not just, you know, trying to get attention. It actually is affecting public health in ways you wouldn't expect. You know, we've always thought bad behaviors lead bad behaviors, but I don't think many of us have crossed the line into saying if you have bad experiences as as a child, you are more likely to have heart disease. (laughs) That hasn't been a a correlation I've been drawing. Uh, But I've looked at these studies pretty much all weekend because I got so into it, and uh, it is pretty irrefutable, uh, the evidence.
0: Yeah, Let's, let's go ahead and... Um, before we dive too deep into all this evidence, let's let's make sure that we kind of clarify a little bit what an adverse childhood experience mm-hmm. is. And I'll tell you, uh, Steve, I'm kind of like you, where my interest in this came from. Um, I, I don't know, at some point in time, just kind of reflecting back on life. And you always had that kid. And uh, for me, it's somewhere around those formative years of fourth grade, fifth grade or so where there was always this kid that stood out as just being a bit of a nuisance in class for some reason. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you always kind of wonder, well, why was why was the kid so disruptive or what was going on? And then two, once you have children of your own, you know, they're, the innocence of their questions and it's kind of, you know, why would somebody ever get addicted to drugs or why would somebody want to be a prostitute or why would somebody do this or that or the other? And You know, those are hard things to come up with answers because nobody, at least in my school, when we went through my entirety of school, ever said that when I grow up, I want to be a drug addict. When I grow up, I want to walk the streets and sell myself. Um, And so it's not that we set out to do these things, but somehow they unfold. And that's what I find so fascinating about adverse childhood experiences is, is some of these Experiences lead us to that kind of an end, and we'll we'll talk some more about the end that it leads us to. Uh, but I have a, a ACE test in front of me here, and so I'm going to go through this relatively quick. Um, but I just want to share it with our audience so they have an idea of what it is. And of course, you can go out and Google it. What's my ACE score? ACE. What's my ACE score? And you can find out all about it. CDC has it, and there's a lot of other helpful sites that have information about it. But uh, for our purposes today, I've got one, uh, I believe it was actually called what'smyacescore.com that I pulled it from. Um, I'm, I'm not certain, but I do have a printout of it in front of me. So prior to the age of 18, there are 10 questions that we can ask. And for every question that I ask, if you say yes to it, that's one ace. That's one point. That's one ace. And so, so if you don't
1: have a piece of paper with you, just get your fingers ready. There you go. <laughs> exactly. One finger as you go through, because there's not that many questions, and yeah. you'll be able to know what your A score is by the time we're done.
0: Yeah, perfect, Steve. Great idea. Yeah, just just put a chicken scratch, as we call it, on a piece of paper, or I'll hold up a finger for each one of these that you can say yes to in your life prior to the age of eighteen. And again, I'll I'll, I'll go through a little bit quick, just in the interest of time, uh, but they're pretty straightforward questions. So, number one, did you or an adult in your household often or very often, excuse me, (laughs) did a parent or an adult in your household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down, humiliate you, or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? That's one. So hold that finger up or scratch it down. Number two, did a parent or other adult in your household often or very often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you, or even hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured. That's two. Number three, did an adult or a person at least five years older than you ever touch or fondle you or touch your body in a sexual way or attempt or actually have oral, anal, vaginal intercourse with you? That's number three. Number four, did you... Uh, Do you often or very often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special, or your family didn't look out for each other or feel very close to each other or support each other? That's number four. Number five, did you often or very often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, or had no one to protect you, or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if you need it. Number six, were your parents ever separated or divorced? Number seven, was your mother or stepmother, and on this one I don't know why it specifies a mother, but uh, it, it may apply to both parents, but in this case it's asking mother or stepmother, were they often or very often push, grab, slap, or had something thrown at her, or sometimes, often or very often kicked, bitten, hit, or with a fist or hit with something hard or repeatedly hit over at least a few minutes or threatened with a gun or a knife
1: and some of the new versions of that say intimate partner rather than mother or stepmother
0: yes number eight did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or used street drugs number nine was a household member depressed or mentally ill or did a household member attempt suicide and then number 10 did a household member go to prison and again all of these are before the age of 18. and so this is an interesting thing now mind you this is relatively new research it's it's about 1990 that this was discovered uh gentlemen Uh, there was a gentleman uh, that was doing some research and it was with people that were in an exercise and diet program and he discovered that some of his most successful students that were going through the study losing weight doing super well would get so far into the program and then they just go off the rails. They'd stop coming to class, they'd stop everything and then they regain their weight back and maybe even put on more weight quite possibly. And so through that they began to do he began to do some research and somehow or another (laughs) don't ask me how they sort of narrowed it down to these 10 questions and so in this particular instance the people that had more aces and again each each finger you raised or each chicken scratch you wrote down that pertained to you is one ace Uh, as steve said the more aces you have the more likely you are to have repercussions of various kinds later on in life. And so, Steve, it, it might be good if we kind of talk about some of those repercussions. Uh, but before we do, real quick, I do have some stats in front of me uh, from research that's been done about how much of the population has what kind of an ACE score, because I know uh, that would certainly be something that would be interesting to me if I'd never heard of it before. So first of all. Uh, According to this, and you're going to find varying information from varying studies. So, you know, this is not the gospel truth, but it's fairly accurate that we can assume because I saw a few things that point similar numbers. Uh, 36% of the population has zero ACEs. There you go. So now you know, 36%. So 26% of the population, so just more than a quarter, have one, just one. 16% have two, 9.5% have three, and then 12% of the population at large have 12.5% or more. Excuse me, let me say that again. (laughs) 12.5% of the population have four or more ACEs. And so as just as Steve had mentioned, and we'll start talking about some of the symptoms here in a second. For each ace you have, it almost becomes a multiplier on some of the things that affect you later in life. And uh, the how I really learned a lot about aces was a book that was called *Childhood Disrupted*. Highly encourage you if this is a topic that's of interest to you. Highly encourage you to look for that book, uh, Donna Jackson, and I'm not going to try and pronounce her last name. It's a uh, I will. It's a uh, Nakazawa. Something like that. But if you look for Donna Jackson, if you look for Childhood Disrupted, you'll find it. And she shares a story in here uh, where she was reaching adulthood and she had a number of severe um, bowel and stomach issues. And she was going to the doctor and couldn't figure out what it was. And the story goes, and this is uh, her own account. Uh, What happened is the doctor, through asking her questions, finally realized that she was reaching the stage in life that she was almost about to turn the same age as her mother was when her mother died. So why is that significant? Well, let me go back and tell that story real quickly, if I could, Steve. And then, then we'll talk about some of the other things. So. As a child her parents were separated and she was living with her mother and her mother went to visit her dad at the carpet store uh, he worked at and of course you know carpet stores big glass front window door to the back for the private office and her mother told her to lock the doors don't let anyone in and so you know just stay in the car she'd be a minute but just stay in the car And so she stayed in the car, and she could see her mother standing in the doorway of the office, apparently arguing with her father. And she sat in the car and waited and waited, and eventually she heard a real loud noise. And once she heard the noise, she looked to the building to see what appeared to be her mother's legs dragging across the ground out of the office doorway. So she didn't see what happened, but it, it didn't look good. Well, you can pretty much guess what happened because you're an adult listening, I'm assuming. Uh, So her father came running out to the car a little bit later, had her unlock the doors and said, hey, mommy wants you to go with me. Everything's fine, but you're going to stay with me for a while. And so she, of course, went with her father and did as he said, only to later on realize that her mother was dead. And so this child witnessed essentially the murder of her own mother, and went to court and had to testify against her father. So now she has no mother, and now she has no father because he's in the prison system. And then she was moved to an aunt or an uncle. Some family member took her in, and they chose not to talk about the situation again. So you have a child that's somewhere around the age of five or six that witnessed the murder of their parent that was already dealing with struggles in their own life that doesn't have the opportunity to talk about the situation, doesn't have a close family member that's willing to allow them to vent or to express their concerns. And so, of course, what happens, that child grows up to an adult and that pent-up abuse and that pent-up frustration is there and it ended up causing neurological or stomach problems or different things for her. And so that's a common type of thing that can happen to somebody that suffers adverse childhood experiences. Oftentimes, it's suppressed. Oftentimes, it's not necessarily talked about. And even if it's open, especially the more you have, and for more to Steve's point seems to be kind of a tipping point of where you see more and more things manifest. And so That's, that's the story of what an adverse childhood experience is. Now that's a traumatic story, uh, but there's many folks that have other traumatic stories that have this as well.
1: Well, I think it's interesting, especially as you look at that list, some of those things don't seem as traumatic as others. However, after having been studied, neglect really is, or does appear (laughs) to have a similar dosage relationship as other forms of abuse. And so, you know, I, I think sometimes there is this feeling, well, I never had anything that bad happen to me. You know, right. I should be in that situation. Um, you know, those um, ACEs that we just discussed, those are the ones that they've studied and they've shown that dosage relationship. But it appears as I've looked at these at, at studies all weekend long, anytime someone comes up with the idea of, well, let's check to see if this adverse child experience would have a dosage relationship. The answer is yes, it does <laughs> that, that, um, you know, like one of those that isn't brought up, um, specifically uh, on the CDC site, but has been studied, um, extensively, uh, is poverty, you know, being in poverty has a, um, great dose response, uh, to the possibility of having many of these adverse things happen, you know, but, uh, for the sake of keeping it consistent, we're kind of looking at the CDC ones, uh, but. If, if you're one of these people listening saying, I, I feel like I've had these, but I didn't get very many, um, you don't need to have all four <laughs> to suffer. Um, uh, y- you, you can have just one or you can have zero on there and have something different that, you know, the researchers hadn't thought about. But I just wanna go over some of the things that uh, you find this graded dose response to, and I'm just gonna do four or more. Although, uh, take my word for it, it's, it goes um, from those who have zero, if you have one, the chances of it jump up if you have another the chances of it jump up. So like, for example, severe obesity. Um, You are if you have four or more of these aces, you're about twice as likely as someone who has none of dealing with severe obesity. Um, Having uh, not doing activity, um, no leisure time, physical activity, Uh, people who uh, have four or more about 26% of them uh, aren't being active physically as opposed to those who have none. That's about 18%. So it's about 6% increase there. Um, Two or more weeks of depressed mood in the past year. This one is a huge leap. About 50% of people who have four or more will have two or more weeks in a depressed mood during the past year. Uh, So depression is much higher. It's about 50% for people who have four or more. It's about 14% for people who have no ACEs. Um, This is one that uh, goes right along with it and um, is very frightening, uh, especially if you know people who have dealt with um, ACEs. If you have people you care about who have dealt with those um, ever attempted suicide. If you have zero. And this is, um, you know, as Leonard and I looked around, this has been studied by a lot of different people. The numbers sometimes shift a little bit, mm-hmm. but stay essentially along the same same line within their respective margin of errors. But this one that's studied by them or uh, published by the American Journal of Preventative Medicine says that, you know, someone who has zero, it's going to be about 1.2% of that population uh, who attempts suicide. Someone who has four or more, it's So you're getting that close to that 20% or almost one in five of, of these individuals who have attempted, they've actually tried to end their life, you know, so, and the list goes on and on. There's 40 or more of these, um, there, the only one I saw that didn't have a relationship was cancer. So apparently cancer is one that doesn't, um, doesn't apply by the childhood rules, at least in this one study, um, is stayed the same across the board. But otherwise, almost everything they looked at had this graded dose response.
0: Yeah. And and Steve, the uh, the chart that I'm looking at in front of me, even cancer, is uh, almost just, just shy of two times more likely to be wow. in somebody that has an adverse childhood experience. Uh, But I I, want to go back to the suicide real quick, though, because that's that's one of the biggest staggering numbers, Uh, increase in alcoholism uh, and suicide. But suicide by far outweighs the other as far as the largest percentage increase. And so, Mm -hmm. as Steve said, if you had four more, uh, it was your 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 information said about 17 percent. Is that right, Steve?
1: Uh, Eighteen point three Eight, 18. for people who had attempted suicide. Yeah, and you know a lot of this has to do with when the study's done. Sure. Sometimes true. you give something a little more time, and people are a little more open to talk about it. You know. Um,
0: yeah, and so essentially, if it's four more, that's the percentage. And then if it's three, you can almost cut that in half. And then you can take that number for that for three and cut it in half again for two. And so it it seems to be that particular one seems to be a multiplier. So for each ACE you have, it seems to increase. And again, we don't know five, six, seven, eight. We just know for four ACEs
1: uh, what that is. Um, Yes. And for some of these things, you know, when I look at the zero, you know, and and it still has a percent next to it, there's still (laughs) people who have these adverse effects, whether or not it was in one of these studied ACEs, it does make me wonder, you know, Are the, were they, um, some of them subjected to ACEs that we haven't studied yet? Yeah. Yeah. You know.
0: And some of the areas affected uh, that show on this chart that I have here in front of me, just for folks that are still kind of trying to wrap your mind around how it can affect you. uh, Broken bones. (laughs) Simple enough as something like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. COPD, having a stroke, uh, heart disease, Steve already mentioned, sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, depression, he's already mentioned, diabetes, obesity, drug use, missed work. That's an interesting one too, uh, the amount of work that's missed. Uh, so this particular study I have in front of me says that you are five and a half times more likely to miss 14 days or more, 14 days or more, if you have four more ACEs. Um, smoking increases and, uh, as like Steve mentioned the lack of physical activity so all of these things are results of what happens to somebody as a child that is outside of their control they are the victim of whatever has happened and so just terribly interesting to see and to understand you know we are maybe just a little more fragile than we sometimes think I know we're resilient but uh, when you when you start to really think about, how preventable those 10 questions that I ask uh, a, a number of those are easily to prevent. And so it's just mm. disheartening to see what long-term effect can be caused by some of those things.
1: And I need to put in a quick correction because I, I said cancer was not, and I'm looking at this better. It cancer definitely is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, the CDC has cancer and diabetes listed amongst its um, seven most prevalent yeah. um, effects. Um, so, you know, and, and going back to what you just said, Leonard, you know, I, I can't count how many times I've heard people say, kids are resilient, Mm -hmm. kids are resilient. I've said it myself, I felt like I've observed it with my own children, that they just seem to bounce back from anything. And what we know is that is false. Kids are very fragile, they're not resilient, they need to be protected or yeah. it will hurt them later on in life, you know, that while it may appear that they can get beyond these things, you know, in fact, you know, I'm looking at the the top seven here for the CDC and they've got <laughs> traumatic brain injuries, you know, which you said, fractures and things, you know, depression, anxiety, unintended pregnancies, HIV and STDs, uh, cancer, diabetes, alcohol, you brought up education income gaps. Um, these are not things that we want for our children, but how do we I mean, I think one of the challenges we look at things that happen to children and op- often happens within the home and the home is a castle. And how do you get in there and how do you protect children that aren't your own? Right. I mean, I can't go into someone else's house and, and say, I'm, I'm going I'm to just checking in on your kids. You know, and I and it does appear to be that in some circumstances, some things that I've read, that's even not effective, that if it if it's a matter of um, let's look for the signs of abuse and then let's call social services. I'm not saying we don't do that, because one of the things that of the five interventions that are suggested by the CDC, and I know you've got a list of some other things that are suggested is to intervene to lessen harms. So, of course, that's one of those things. However, as we look at how to lessen the impact, um, most things actually talk about supporting families. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, there's there's an ACE pyramid. I don't know if you've you seen this. Um, no, I have not Leonard? seen that. Yeah. All right. So um, the ACE pyramid, I would expect to see adverse childhood experiences at the very bottom. You know, and then everything builds up on top of that. And in fact, if you think about it that way, they say, okay, well, you start with adverse, adverse childhood experiences. Then the next tier up is disrupted neurodevelopment. Basically, what, what um, scientists are hypothesizing here is that when you have an experience, it changes the um, connections in your brain. Those, those synaptic connectors work differently. You've built a neuropath uh, that changes the way they will deal with the world. So you had the adverse experience. It created this a disrupt in your neurodevelopment and that disrupt in the neurodevelopment leads to the next tier, which is social, emotional and cognitive impairment. So now there is um, an issue that you're dealing with where socially. They're making decisions that may not be the best or emotionally. So social, emotional and cognitive impairment occurs because basically this is I'm not meaning to stigmatize it, but basically a a type of brain damage (laughs) that happened. Just like if you got hit on the head, these emotional experiences can also create a sense of brain damage that led to a social, emotional, cognitive impairment, uh, which led to the adoption of uh, health risk behavior. Mm -hmm. So now I'm eating more. I drink a lot of soda and I'm, you know, I've I've got, I'm making decisions that are health risks. And And oftentimes we try and hit it at that health risk there.
0: And those health risks too, oftentimes are just simply co- coping mechanisms for somebody mm-hmm. that's been through that. You know, so um, how, how many Deal times? With the emotional pain. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how many times to have you maybe binged on chocolate when you felt depressed, or maybe you know you you go to something else or whatever. And so mm-hmm. it, it's just kind of interesting to see that in that pyramid. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and so then the next step up is on that pyramid is disease, disability and social problems, you know, because of those um, adoption of health risk behaviors. And then the final cap on it is early death, that the mortality rate for people who have had adverse childhood experiences is much higher and it happens much earlier. So anyways, I started at adverse childhood experiences. However, the pyramid has two tiers beneath that. And that's really where we have an opportunity to try and nip it in the bud. This is where we really have an opportunity to try and and protect children because what I hope anybody listens to this now believes is it is ridiculous. It is stupid and it should never be said again that children are resilient because it leads us to believe we don't have to protect them. And so we need to come into these two layers below. So directly below um, adverse childhood experiences are social conditions, and local context. Mm. So this is where we we look at providing familial support because the behaviors that led to this adverse experience generally are worse when people don't have when broken people break people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we're all broken to some degree, right? Yeah. And so providing that. Um, is going to make it less likely it happens but there's a tier even below social conditions and local context and um general embodiment and historical trauma so this is where we get into um what at sometimes appears to be like a cultural experience Mm. um you know this is where we look at things like and, and i you know, <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit it, but I, I, I heard many times as a child growing up, you know, that um, minority communities um, just needed to stop having problems. They needed to just do better. Mm-hmm. And slavery ended um, a long time ago, and it's time to get over it. And it's time to move on. Well, the truth is you can't just take a group of people and say who have been traumatized, who have been abused and who have been um, underprivileged and just say, stop doing it. It's, it's about as effective as someone who is depressed and saying, um, maybe you should try feeling happy. Right. You know, go to someone who's poor and say, oh, you know what? Poverty doesn't seem to work for you. Why don't you try being wealthy? (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's not the way it works. That's that's just not the way it works. Historical trauma. And you can't get something much worse than like, you know, you think about Native American communities. The Trail of Tears was a long time ago, but that is historical trauma and it still affects them. I grew up in a Mormon community and everyone was still talking about the Hans Mill Massacre and many people probably haven't even heard about that, but everyone's still talking about the Hans Mill Massacre as if it happened to them yesterday, as if they knew somebody (laughs) who was killed in it, you know, um, and that was, relatively speaking, a very small thing. Uh, that affected a very limited group of people, but was um, a historical trauma that we grew up hearing about, uh, that we grew up learning that there were people that wanted to destroy us. Now now you look at a community of people um, who truly were the subject of lynchings and of, of those types of things. That historical trauma is its own adverse child experience according to, I mean, it, it is actually a layer below that. Uh, it was two layers below that, but it is feeding adverse childhood experiences.
0: Yeah. And it really makes sense when you think about it, Steve, because that is the lens in which you view the world from. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if that's been your experience and your historical family experience and their family before that, then you're going to have that lens of viewing that. And it's going to impact you. Um in every area, so that 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 really does make some sense.
1: There is some hope, though. Yeah, <laughs> there are some there are there some is. some some great um and, and real goals. quick. <laughs> yeah,
0: before, before we get to the hope, let me throw in one more <laughs> nugget of of horror yes. here. Uh, the statistic uh, you had mentioned early death being at the top of the pyramid. I want to go back to that for just a quick visit before we go forward. And so, for our audience, it might. Be wondering about that, you know, well, think about it. You know, you're, you're using uh, the, the possibility of suicide is so much greater. That alone is a huge statistic. The dependency on chemicals or drugs and alcohol uh, is much higher, much greater. And so you recognize, of course, premature death is going to come as a result of those type of things. Oftentimes, obesity, heart attacks, those type of things are going to cause premature death and so on. So it really does become something that's quite common for the average age of somebody that has an ACE score to be lower than the general population. And the statistic I have here, uh, for whatever reason, they they show six plus ACEs. So usually we talk about four or more, at least you read about four or more ACEs. But if you have six ACEs or more, you are likely to have a lifespan that is 20 years shorter than somebody that has zero aces, so we're talking the difference between eighty and sixty, mm-hmm. and that's that's just incredible, you know. I I you know number one sixty is not horribly far away from me, uh, and then two you look at the number of folks today that are living in long retirement or working longer, the grandchildren, all all of those things that you miss out on. Um, by having these premature deaths like this. And again, this is averages, so of course, you know, we can account for the fact that somebody's gonna die at the age of twenty and somebody else is gonna live much longer. But that's just a, a horrible statistic to be faced with and recognizing ultimately, to your point, Steve, this is preventable.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's it's interesting and um just putting it in the context of what is happening right now, you know, the pandemic looms over everything we do. And, um, one of the things that autoimmune deficiencies are certainly there's a correlation with ACEs and, um, and those yes. deficiencies and we look and, and who are the individuals that are, that are dying at a higher rate? They're people from, uh, minority communities, communities who have historically, um, been traumatized and, and we're seeing, you know, in some cases, almost a two to one in, in some areas, a uh, ratio of people who are dying from COVID at this yeah. point. So like we're, we're actually seeing the results of, of, of these or potentially, I mean, I'm making a, a scientific leap that I don't necessarily have, the, yeah. uh, you know, the data to support It's more of a, a hypothesis based on what I'm seeing, but I, 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 I think there's certainly something to be said there, and especially as we look at um, abuse. If if you look at abuse, abuse is becomes worse when someone in authority or in a position of power, and almost always that's what abuse is, right? It's a, it's it's abuse of power. It's somebody using uh, exercising their power over you in a, in a non consensual way. Uh, but when someone has actual authority or legitimate authority, and they're and they're abusing that, um, it it magnifies the trauma behind it. And I think that's something that's probably worth looking at, especially as we look at that bottom one, historical trauma. For many of the communities who have been most affected by this, um, you know, I've, I've, I've heard people bring up the statistic of, well, you know, um, police brutality is a very small percentage of people killed, you know, people killed through police brutality, as opposed to people killed in gang fights. And, <laughs> you know, um, But there is a difference in the trauma that comes on a community when two people in an equal position fight it out and one of them dies. And when one person who is an authority figure comes in and causes that death. And so I think it's important to look at from that historical trauma, that's Mm -hmm. much more intense when someone who should be your protector is the person who is the aggressor. You know, when a parent is the one who is the person who does the sexual abuse, as opposed to a, and I'm not saying that either one is okay, um, but to like a date rape situation, they're both bad. They're both horrible. But right. someone who abuses their position of trust uh, ends up creating more damage, and so that's why it's important that we look at it from through that through that lens, um, if we're going to try and. If we're going to try and fix this cycle because it really is what it ends up being. It's, this is listed as a pyramid, but it could be looked at as, as a, as a circle because mm-hmm. it feeds back into itself. Yeah. But there are some things that can be done. And I think it's, it, it at this point, I think we should shift yes. <laughs> and say, what, Please, what, what, <laughs> you know, what are we going to do? Because this is, this is really a bleak, dark uh, perspective. And, and, you know, um, the CDC has, Uh, listed five main strategies, and uh, this is not by any means comprehensive. And I think, um, uh, Leonard, you have a list of some things that you can do if you are uh, someone who's been affected by these. But these are things that we're looking at really diving at the root of it. And the first one they've got on the list is strengthen economic support for families. Um, and I, I really wish i had had more time to, to study each one of these in greater detail, but one of the things I found so interesting about this and strengthening economic support for families is I found a, um, study, um, that, oh goodness, let me see who did this, um, this study, uh, well, I'll look it up in just a moment. It's here, I promise, um, that was looking at earned income credit.
0: Yes, I have and, a, a note about that in front of me on
1: that. Oh, very good, very good. So maybe you'll you'll find it for me. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. the study on this, uh, but looking at earned income credit and the effect that 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 had. What was interesting about this is that, um, you know, in trying to determine if earned income credit and what if, if you if you don't know what earned income credit is, basically if you are below the poverty line when you file your taxes. You could get up to, depending on how low you are below the poverty line, you could get up to, uh, I think it's forty three percent of your income, in a tax credit or a tax return. So at the end of the year, you file your taxes. I remember actually getting this the first time <laughs> when um, when I was when I was young. I had um, my first kid and. Um, I filed my taxes. I didn't know earned income credit existed. Uh, my wife had actually been working for a, a tax preparer, and he's like, "Oh, let me do your taxes." And and I thought we were going to get two or three hundred dollars back, and we got like four thousand dollars back. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, "We didn't pay in four thousand. How is this possible?" And he explained the earned income credit. Oh my goodness! I I the difference that that made for us. But what this study discovered was that. Um, $1,000 of earned income credit um, in homes where you had children who um, were younger um, increased their reading and math scores by 6%. Hmm. And that this, the um, amount of increase went higher depending on how big the difference was between where they were at. And, you know, the whole concept of this is when you're under financial pressure, it's really hard to be. Um, a nurturer to the degree that's needed. Children read the stress. They read the pain. They read those things. And creating an economic environment or economic support, earned income credit is also great because it doesn't tell families how to spend it. Uh, Parents have the ability to spend it on whatever they need. Um, If it's food, they spend it there. If it's, you know, I remember when we got ours, it was like, oh, we can fix the car. We can do, you know, Mm -hmm. there were just so many things that uh, this, this $4,000 meant us. And it's been many years since I was eligible for an income credit, but I do remember um, even working in, um, in a human resources offices for uh, a hotel that had housekeeping and the housekeepers coming in um, and uh, wanting help with their taxes, which we actually did sometimes have someone that would come in and help them do their tax prep. And, um, it was like, this is when we're going to be able to do this. This is when I'm going to pay tuition for my kid that's going to community college. This is where I'm going to, you know, tremendous a difference. Economic support for families is the first one listed. And I would argue perhaps one of the most powerful. I don't know if you have anything you wanted to add on that.
0: Yeah, just a quick stat before we move to the next one. Uh, According to the information I have here, earned income credit raises approximately 6 million people above the poverty line by giving them that credit. And of those 6 million people, half of them are children. And so that that shows the impact that it has there.
1: Well, it's interesting because as I was looking it up, I found a lot of articles written by people saying how earned income credit was a bad thing because it encouraged people not to make more money. And I thought, why? This is definitely written by someone who's never not had money because um, yeah. <laughs> I don't recall ever um, thinking when I qualified for it, oh my goodness, I hope I don't get a promotion. I hope I don't get a raise because I don't want to lose my earned income credit. Right. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it, it when when you when you have it and when you work your way out of it. And I say work my way out of it. I didn't do anything special. I just you know over time got better jobs and um, made more money. But uh, but as you come out of it, you 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 see it slowly disappear. But as you gain this financial um, competence and ability to do things, you know, uh, my kids were laughing about uh, the story I told about one time I went to the store and I went to the store that was like across town because we had a coupon for a block of cheese <laughs> at that store. And I went to go get it, but then, um, my wife, Elizabeth had used the debit card earlier that day and I hadn't realized it, <laughs> so I didn't have enough money for the block of cheese. And, um, and they're like, dad, you were poor. And I was thinking, you know what? I was, I didn't realize that. But at the time it was just like, this was the reality. And the people I lived around, it was the same thing. Like, Oh, did you get your coupon for cheese? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is, it makes such a difference and it, and it reduces so much stress on families when they can afford to pay for things, you know, when they don't worry about their kids. All right. Should we move on to the next one? Yes. Cause I know I'm getting long winded. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, Steve, it's my show, too. <laughs> Number changing, two. <laughs> changing social norms uh, to supporting uh, positive parenting. Changing social norms to support positive parenting. And I think that really does go into, you know, um, we all come from a culture that uh, You know my culture was very patriarchal Um, my dad was not though Uh, so i had a very different relationship um, with my father than many people around me had with theirs because you know for them many of them their father was an authority figure he wasn't someone you cuddled up to at night um, or that you shared your ideas with uh, or that changed diapers or that you know um, changing some of those those uh, cultural norms and um, uh, do you have some ideas on how people can go about doing that?
0: I, I think part of it is just being aware of ACEs in a sense as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when we have awareness, we can take action to help curb some of those behaviors that lead to it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the next one kind of goes well into the same concept. Number three, quality childcare and, uh, education, um, early in life. Uh, If if you own an organization, you're deciding whether or not you want to put in a child care, Um, you know, I understand there's a financial (laughs) aspect of looking at that. I remember when I worked at a call center, uh, some people put up the uh, idea that they wanted to get an on site child care there for their children because, you know, people weren't making a lot of money. It was a call center. Uh, Many of them had children and they spent almost as much paying for child care and they didn't get to see their children all day. So there was this talk about trying to put a childcare in, you know, we floated the idea, insurance people looked at it and said, no way, (laughs) you cannot have a childcare here. And it died on the vine, but what you're really choosing to do when you support child quality childcare is you're choosing to minimize the number of ACEs that people experience, and you're, you're creating a, a safe environment for children, you know, um, great way to make a difference for society by supporting child care um, number four is enhancing parenting skills uh, did you get your manual when you got your kids
0: <laughs> I think that got left somewhere <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's a tough one
1: you know I think about all the classes that were required in high school and many of them I don't use the algebra um, I that so much of it is of no use to me right now. Uh, it was not required to take a parenting class, yet most of us are parents. Yeah. And I just figured I'd know what to do. And so if you don't know what to do, you fall back on what you know, and that's whatever you experienced. Yes. Um, interviewing, or I'm sorry, not interviewing, intervening <laughs> to lessen harms and prevent risk. And this is where we get to kind of that 911 issue that when we see a child who is being abused, that um, we don't turn a blind eye to it, that to the degree possible, we intervene either. You know, what some of the things I I read about, it wasn't just like call social services. Um, Many times intervening is, can I babysit your kids so you guys can get out tonight?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, Steve, you use the term abuse. (laughs) And so oftentimes when we use that term, we only think physical. Uh, yes. And so it is a matter of, you know, it, does the child need clothing? Does the child need food? Does the child need some love and attention? And so there's other ways that we can intervene uh, beyond just picking up and dialing the phone. You know, that it, 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 we have to put some skin in the game if we're going to yeah. uh, help make some changes there.
1: <laughs> well, you know, um, Leonard, you and I are, are both both uh, white guys. And, and I think that's something us white people need to learn is yeah. you can't intervene just by calling. And making an anonymous tip. Yeah. If you want to make a difference, stop picking up the phone and start walking out your door. Yeah. <laughs> start yeah. start intervening, and you know I certainly can do better in, in that area. You know, the intervening doesn't mean calling someone else to do the work that you don't want to do yourself. Yes. It may mean buying a coat for a child who you see doesn't have one, instead of saying, "I see, I'm go to the bus stop, and he didn't have a coat, so I called Child Protective Services." Maybe instead buy a coat <laughs> and give it to them. You know, in fact, I'd like to talk a little bit about the intervening because I I had this experience when I was in junior high that, um, you know, I, I'm one of six kids. My parents did the best they possibly could. Uh, but, you know, there was just one income coming in and, and we, most of our food, we actually grew ourselves on my grandpa's land and um, it didn't, wasn't conducive to making lunches you can't just bring a bottle of peaches with you or some frozen beans, uh, to eat. You know, we honestly, most of the time didn't have bread because it was expensive Mm. (laughs) to us. It seemed expensive buying bread, you know, uh, that was a treat. Um, and, and sometimes when, when there was time to make bread, you know, my dad or my mom would make bread, but for the most part, we didn't have bread for sandwiches and things. So, um, Uh, While I don't believe I was malnourished, there were times I didn't have lunches. There were often times I didn't have lunches uh, when I would go to school. I am sure that we would have qualified for um, free lunch, but it was something we never signed up for. So, you know, we get to the lunchroom, I'd see all these other kids eating and I would I remember like trying to pretend that the, the water fountain was like chocolate milk or something like it's an all you can eat. You can drink all the water you want. And I would try and pace myself like, so when I was extra hungry, I'd go by the water fountain and get a drink. And um, that changed about partway through the year because of a janitor. And uh, he was, um, oh, probably, I would say uh, in his 60s, large Polynesian man that didn't speak a lot of English you know, just a few words here and there. And he would go around cleaning the lunchroom. And um, I, I mean, this this sounds like something no one would be allowed to do, but it worked and it fed me. But he would he would go around and he would see kids throwing their food away. You know, they would, they would get their pizza that came on a, a thing of fries and they'd eat their pizza and throw their fries away or their tater tots or whatever. And he'd be like, um, um, do you mind if I give this to someone? And he would take it and bring it over to me. And now that, that would seem like it was a real embarrassment, but it wasn't because he was a very large Polynesian man. And nobody felt like they would, would want to tease me about this because <laughs> he was such a larger than life individual that people respected. you know. And it's interesting because it goes into the intervention. This was someone who I don't think he had a lot of money. He couldn't reach into his pocket and... Um, and pay, there were social programs that were supposed to make sure I was eating lunch. None of those were working. What worked was this janitor that didn't speak a lot of English that just intervened. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, those are the things that, that we can do to stop aces, get them at their root. Um, I know we're getting close to the end of time, but do you want to talk a little bit about some things you can do um, to receive help or to treat ACEs that you may be experiencing or have experienced in the past?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, And we can tell from the stats that that affects so many of the population. So many of us are affected by it. And I really think the great thing about this too is these different things that I'm going to pull from the book Childhood Disrupted, uh, these can be helpful just to keep us calm during the period that we're in as well. You know, we always kind of come back to the present and try and tie what we're talking about to the present. Well, guess what? COVID's not going away anytime soon. I read <laughs> the headlines this morning. We're worse off now than we were according to the headlines. And mm-hmm. so uh, it's important for us to uh, make sure that we're taking care of ourselves here. Some of the items suggested here is just simply right journal you know a lot of folks do journaling nowadays it's very therapeutic drawing uh we have color therapy nowadays so drawing color therapy those kind of things just relax the mind um mindfulness meditation you know taking the time to meditate and focus and so that can help heal our brains Uh, some of the other items listed here is uh Doing some form of exercise, like a yoga, or doing uh this mention's tai chi, for example. I'm not sure where I can find that in Mississippi, but uh I'm sure I could find a yoga class and do some stretching exercises. Uh, and, and just having some positive motivation things. Uh and so this mentions it, it calls it loving kindness. Um uh, in and, and maybe you've seen the movie Precious where you know she keeps saying these things to herself. Um, you know, I am loving, I am kind, I'm capable. Those type of things can be therapeutic for us as well. Another item it mentions is forgiveness. Now, I know that's a difficult thing, but when we can forgive folks that have done harm to us, uh, we find that's healing for our bodies and healing for our mind as well and so it really is important to kind of come full circle and forgive the individuals and Keeping in mind, of course, anytime we talk about forgiveness, you forgiving them doesn't mean they may apologize to you, but it's, it's the release of you letting go of it by forgiving them. Uh, so there's a few suggestions there, and there's a lot of other things. Obviously, having yourself surrounded by people you can talk to. We've talked about that many times. Uh, finding a professional counselor. Uh, Someone that can help you kind of unpack what you've been through and help point you in the right direction uh, is also strongly advised as well. Um, But I I just hope that as you've heard about this today, you recognize um, I know it's a little overwhelming, but I hope you recognize it's a little more common than we think. And just maybe we can be a little kinder to the folks around us because we just don't know what their ACE score is. <laughs> that's a cheesy way to look at it, but that's reality. <laughs> Steve, any parting thoughts from you before we wrap up today?
1: Just just one final thought, and that is you is—you know, just going back to piggyback on what you said about COVID and it's here and it's real and it's happening and it's getting worse. And our kids seem resilient. Our kids seem like they're doing fine or maybe sometimes they don't, but they're not that right now this is a traumatic experience. There's no way it's been studied. Nobody's studied COVID yet to, uh, to go and, and see if it creates, but it is it is creating instability for our children. Their schools are not what they were before. You know, everything is changing for them. And I don't know what the right thing is to do, but, you know, I, I know that sometimes when there's a tragedy, we say, go home, hug your kids a little tighter, let them know that you love them. Um, and I think that that's probably something that we all need to do today. You know, make sure that those those children, those who are, because they are the most vulnerable, even if they don't look it, you know, hug them a little tighter today. Let them know you love them and and let them know that you know it's hard <laughs> that is, and that you're there for them.
0: Yeah. Well said, Steve. Well said. And for you folks listening to us, we appreciate you listening. Love to give you a virtual hug right now. <laughs> So just imagine, if you will, a nice warm hug from us, I guess. Uh, And we do encourage you to reach out to us. Tell us what's on your mind, what you'd like to hear about. You can email us at furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. And as always, before we wrap it up, we do want to recognize our sponsor, Upwards Unlimited. That's upwards, W-O-R-D-S, unlimited.com. And they can help you improve your conversations, connections, and collaboration and community. And that's why we talk about so many of those items on our show as well. And they can help you with those areas in your work and even really in your personal life as well. So thank you all for listening to us. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Bye-bye, everyone.